Uh, but let's talk now to Alan Menon, uh, who is Professor, of course, of European Politics at King's College London, Director of the UK uh, in a Changing Europe, uh, and see what he makes of what is actually going on this week. Alan, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Morning. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks very much indeed. I mean, we had a uh, sort of what you might have thought was a bit of a political seismic shift over the weekend when Nigel Farage decided uh, to welcome himself into the world of politics again and start a new party. But I looked last night at the official Twitter account uh, of the Brexit party, and it only seems to have a couple of hundred members. So I'm not quite sure whether it's been uh, welcomed with as many open arms as we would have expected. Well, I mean, it takes a while to set up a party. And actually, I think what, what Nigel Farage is counting on with this party is if there's a delay to Brexit, or even more particularly if Parliament ends up voting for a referendum, I think his calculation is that there will be a massive pool of people that he can draw on for that party in that eventuality. I mean, the government still maintains we're leaving on the 29th of March, in which case then this party doesn't have much of a future. But if, say, we extend Article 50 beyond July and end up having to have European Parliament elections, then I think he's going to be very, very well placed. No, quite. Now, before uh, all of that happened, of course, just before the weekend, you put out uh, a new report, Brexit and the backstop, everything you need to know. Um, now, I'm not sure you've covered absolutely everything you need to know, but it's pretty <laughs> comprehensive. Um, what are you making of what's been going on between the DUP um, and, I mean, the meeting between Theresa May and the Irish Taoiseach? I mean, it doesn't seem to be kind of going anywhere but around in circles, does it? Well, you're absolutely right. We like to overclaim a little bit about our reports, <laughs> but... Uh... Uh, I think part of this is just a sort of, is just a choreographed dance in the sense that Theresa May, I don't think number 10 really believe they're going to get this backstop change because the EU have been absolutely clear all along that anything we get in the way of an explanatory letter or something won't contradict the text that's been written into the withdrawal agreement. But I think what she's counting on is if she shows that she's tried as hard as she could, if you like, you know, she's been to Dublin, she's going to spend time talking to the European Union then for many Conservative MPs, it will become clear that this deal is the best there is on the table. And I suspect many of those who voted against the deal first time round by that whopping 230 majority will reconsider because they'll start to see that the only option is this deal. And if not, you're talking no Brexit or no deal Brexit. Yeah, well, that's the problem, isn't it? And I mean, as we get ever closer to this Thursday, when, as I was saying, I don't think really anything much of substance is going to happen. Um, we have to imagine, I suppose, that February the 27th or something like that, or the 26th, is the next big sort of meaningful point at which Theresa May has to come up with something. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose this Thursday looks like being uh, a repeat of two Thursdays ago, mm. in the sense that she's not going to come back with the deal. This isn't going to be the meaningful vote, but the government has to bring forward a motion uh, which Parliament gets to uh, discuss and, more importantly, to amend. So I suspect that what we'll see this Thursday is another of those stories of a variety of amendments being put forward and seeing which ones Parliament votes uh, can find support for. Uh, one of the interesting things to watch, I suppose, is whether the people who support a referendum will try and put an amendment forward to that end this time. I suspect not, because their game is to wait until the choice crystallises between no deal and a referendum. Then they might get the support they need. But as yeah. long as the deal is on the table, I don't think they will. Well, I keep hearing lots of people, I was listening to Caroline Flint over the weekend talking about the best idea is to get some kind of deal, which people seem to be coagulating around. But nobody will say whether they like the deal that's on the table or what they want that deal to be before they say they'll sign up to it. Well, I think... Firstly, it's worth saying there's a lot of nonsense being spoken about this deal, <laughs> yeah. in the sense that a lot of people who say they oppose it, oppose it for reasons that aren't good reasons for opposing it. Right. So, for instance, opposing this deal because you want a customs union doesn't make a lot of sense, because customs unions in the political declaration, which is non-binding, and in effect, if we sign up to this deal, 
and a government after we've signed it can go forward and negotiate a customers union anyway. Mm. Uh, but the dangerous thing, it strikes me, is that there are so many MPs in the House of Commons who, even if this vote, this deal ends up going through by a slim margin, have expressed the fact that they hate it. So we'll sort of, we'll start our post-Brexit lives feeling a bit grumpy about the deal we've signed up to, which I don't think augurs well for the politics of this. No, quite. And what do you reckon is being said over in Europe? Because even Donald Tusk must realise that he made a bit of a blunder by making uh, such a crass comment about hell and all the rest of it. Um, even he is now being said to be slightly undiplomatic, uh, not very dignified and all of that. Uh, do you think he's regressing that? Well, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? But then again, Donald Tusk has form, because if you think back to that Salzburg summit uh, that Theresa May went to last autumn, he famously posted that Instagram picture of a cake saying there are no cherries to pick on this cake. So I think he, he just can't quite control himself. But I think there is a sort of consensus opinion that it was a misstep. Uh, whether, whether he was justified in saying it or not is neither here nor there. But if you're in the middle of a diplomatic negotiation, you don't cause trouble for the other side, which I think his comments did. Well, indeed. And so will there be people now kind of saying the same thing as we, you and I are saying, which is that, well, you know, a deal is better than no deal. Uh, whatever the deal is, we need to make, improve it so that it can get through Parliament. And they're going to have to do their level best to kind of cooperate in some way, even if they're pretending not to. Well, absolutely. But then again, the crucial thing there is when you say we need to improve it, the EU to date has said we're not going to change the substance of the withdrawal agreement. So the improvements are only likely to come in the political declaration, uh, which is about the future relationship which has to be negotiated in detail after we've left. So in that sense, I think uh, there are basically three choices. One is the deal, the other is no deal, the other is no Brexit. Mm. And the, the, more we are, the closer we get to March the 29th, I think the more that threefold choice will crystallise in the, in the minds of MPs. And that's why I think number 10 calculates that despite losing by those 230 votes, they're still in with a chance next time. Well, the only real true bellwether of whether there's anything important going on in Westminster is whether or not the talk radio uh, tent of shame is occupied this week. And I'm not sure it's going to be because at the moment, I'm not convinced it's worth being there. Well, everyone wants to go there on Thursday, surely, just to play the, the amendments game. Well, I mean, very I possibly. Thought, uh, I would have thought that it'll be far less uh, busy there than it would be if there was a proper meaningful vote mm. going on. But nevertheless, there's a kind of, there's a kind of uh, grim fascination with parliamentary <laughs> procedure at the moment that means that people can't take their eyes off all these amendments. Well, there is, but I mean, up to, like, up to a point, Lord Copper, as they say, because unfortunately, <laughs> the more of these meaningful votes that get cancelled and get turned into unmeaningful votes surely the more people are going to turn off. I mean, what we do know for sure is that any poll that you look at will say people just want to get on with something. Well, I mean, there are two things about polls. One is that people want to get on with something. The second is that this process is really damaging the reputation of Parliament. Because the one thing that Leavers and Remainers agree on is that Parliament has handled this very, very badly. And again, I don't think that is very encouraging in terms of the future after Brexit. But what I would say is, you know, each of these votes, yep, it's not the most important or interesting thing in the world, but they give you a clue as to the parliamentary mood. And if you find out that there is no appetite for an extension, if you find out there's no appetite for no deal, then essentially what you are saying sort of by implication is there has to be a growing appetite for the deal because that's the only real alternative. Yes, absolutely right. Well, Alan, fascinating stuff. If we are down there on Thursday, it'd be lovely to see you. Uh, the tent is always open and I don't think it's going to be that cold either. Alan Menon there, uh, Professor of European Politics at uh, King's College London, also Director of UK in a Changing Europe.